What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the EPM show. This is all things enterprise performance management, and we are here to give you an unfair career advantage. Today, we welcome Meredith Albright to the show. Meredith is the Senior Managing Director of FPA at Markel. They're a specialty insurance company, and she has over 20 years of experience across FPA, business analytics, and currently oversees the Anaplan COE at Markel as a part of her leadership role in the FPA organization. She joins me today to talk a little bit about Markel's Anaplan journey and what they've learned from it. A couple of things that stuck out to me that I want you to listen for are why executive buy-in is critical to a successful Anaplan implementation and how Markel's commitment to Anaplan as a tool has ultimately benefited their FPA team not just from a productivity standpoint, from a process standpoint, but from employee engagement, job satisfaction, and all these different things that it's allowed their FP&A team to do because they committed to the tool and they committed to the best practices. And also why integrating accountability cycles is important and ultimately improves the planning process and creates more buy-in. And then lastly, how Markel has structured their COE and why they committed to the COE model from the beginning. Check it out. Meredith, how you doing? Good, thank you. Good. So Meredith, just so the audience can get to know you a little bit better, give me your career flyover in 60 seconds or less whenever you're ready. I started my career with Kimberly Clark coming out of college, and I was there for about four years. They're a phenomenal company to work for. I feel like I got a really strong foundation. But after about four years, my husband and I decided we wanted to relocate to Richmond, Virginia. Since that time, I've really spent the last decade trying to find my new Kimberly Clark or my new long-term home. So I've had a lot of great career experiences, and I really kind of fell into joining companies when they were either starting at P&A from the bottoms up or when they had it, but it was still a bit immature. And so I've had the opportunity to be involved with evolving FP&A departments at a variety of different companies. I guess it's six years ago now, which is really hard to believe. I joined Markel, finally found my long-term home. I'm very happy here. And here I oversee the FP&A department, which includes both business unit, corporate FP&A, and our Anaplan Center of Excellence. And I also oversee our, our project portfolio management, and that's where we evaluate which large technology investment projects we're going to take on for the year and execute it. Crushed it. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. So you said y'all you, you made the decision to relocate to Richmond, Virginia. Where were you before? Right before we moved here, we were in Wisconsin. So Appleton, Wisconsin. I started okay. my career with Kimberly Clark in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and one of their manufacturing facilities, which was a really unique experience. From there, you tend to transition to a staff location. And so we gave Wisconsin a try, but it just was not the right long-term fit for us. That is some cold weather up there. Yes. Very <laughs> and I don't like no, that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. Well, hey, one other, one other comment on this. So we share a, a common, common experience being in the insurance industry. And so you correct me if I'm wrong, but what I have found is that you don't find insurance, insurance finds you. Is that a fair statement? In my, in my case, that is absolutely true. I had no grand dreams of going into insurance. In fact, I really sought out Markel because the reputation they had is such a great employer. But I admit, when you get into it, it's really interesting and really fascinating, especially we're in specialty insurance. So it's 
It's ensuring hard to place risks like equine forces or barges crossing in the ocean. Some really unique things that a typical consumer wouldn't be exposed to. And like I said, it's really interesting. Yeah, you, you don't realize all of the different niche areas where insurance actually exists, but any place that you can experience loss, yep. you need to protect it. And it's, it's the world of risk management is a fascinating place and a massive use case for Anaplan, which we will get into here in a little bit. But before we do that, I have a fun, just kind of more personal question for you. Tell me about your dream vacation. Yeah, so there's a lot of places I want to go. I love the outdoors and I'm pretty much happy to go anywhere that has to do with mountains or, or being with nature. One of the places I really want to go, and I've already been there twice, but I want to go back, is there's a side canyon of the Grand Canyon called Havasupai. And there's these beautiful turquoise green waterfalls when you get down there. And you really can't get down there unless you hike. I think you can take a donkey. And I think once upon a time, they used to do helicopter rides, which I imagine was quite expensive because it was not the norm. I really want to do that again with my kids when they get old enough, because I think it's just such a special place and such a unique experience that I just really want them to have an opportunity to see that and, and see just a completely different way of living because there are people who live down in that canyon. Yeah, that's that's crazy. So you are a mountain, you, mountains and adventure. That is your type of destination. That's really cool. We're we're very similar. My wife and I actually took our we took our honeymoon to Zion. We did Zion yeah. and Death Valley. We lived in Portland, Maine for two years. Okay. And we did a ton of hiking out there, Acadia, all that stuff. I I can't get enough of it. I will tell you this though. This is my Grand Canyon story. I've been one time, and it was with my parents when I was in high school, and it snowed. <laughs> for like four days I'm standing on the edge of the canyon never saw the canyon it was just yeah. like cloudy so i i don't know if i can say i've been to the grand canyon but that's a that sounds like a really cool place i'm gonna have to write that one down for us in our next outdoor adventure so yeah absolutely that's cool well hey let's let's jump in here i know we've talked a little bit about insurance already it's that industry obviously a, a major anaplan vertical and a and a great use case in general for for Anaplan and just finance transformation in general. My, from my personal experience, I saw from a technology perspective when, at my prior employer in insurance, just a lot of antiquated technology, antiquated processes, technical debt, those types of things, and massive transformation efforts. So from your perspective, and Markel's been on a journey with Anaplan, tell me about kind of the genesis of that, what it was that made y'all identify Anaplan as the tool of choice and how that transformation journey has been going so far. Yeah, so I joined Mark Hell back in 2018. And at the time I joined, they were implementing what I call an add-on planning tool, meaning they hadn't really gone out and, and sought it out for planning purposes. It came along with something else they were doing. And so they thought, you know, this would be a good time to, to implement this tool. With the reason being that prior to that, they were really using a tool for nothing more than aggregation purposes. And they did have the desire to move to a more driver-based process, make it a more robust cycle. So had the right intent of mind of where they wanted to evolve the process, but unfortunately the tool wasn't really fit for the purposes, fit for purpose. We're very lucky that in 2019, we really saw a bit of transformation all overall across the company. A new CSO joined. The person was internal from Merkel, but was stepping into a new role. We had a new head of finance. And really the demands around planning had started to change pretty significantly. At the same time, we also looked to take 
what existed as FPNA at the time, which was dispersed throughout the organization and really centralized that to make a more robust FPNA department. And so all those things coming together really shined the light on that if we were going to have more robust planning processes, we really need an appropriate tool. The tool we had in place, we are spending 18 weeks on a cycle, and that was purely mechanics. That was not review, analysis, all the things challenge, all those things you'd want to do is 18 weeks of mechanics. And you say, here's where we got to. If you don't like where it is, we don't really have much time to do anything about it at this point. Um, so that's where we sought out in a plan. And as we did and implemented it, we were able to cut that cycle down to seven weeks, but that also included review and analysis. So it's not even a comparable seven to 18 weeks. It's seven weeks, which is a much more robust process in place. That's, that's quite a story to go from 18 weeks, purely mechanics to seven weeks with mechanics, review, analysis, challenge, everything that you would be looking for from a really strong FP&A team. You know, one of the things that you said that I want to kind of come back to is you talked about how it, it seemed like from the way you told the story, the genesis of this came with a leadership change and, and a new CFO that placed a stronger emphasis and, and changed the demand for better planning. Can you talk a little bit about just the importance of that higher level leadership engagement when it comes to being able to have a successful transition transformation like the one you just described? Yeah, I mean, to me, that is a critical enabler. So I always say you can have the best mechanical process in the world, but if you don't have leadership bought into what you're trying to do with it, you're not necessarily going to get the intended value out of it, right? So for us, that was certainly a driver. At the same time, we had some other transformation initiatives going on. And so there was this, this need for more data in general, not just around planning. And these things really all dovetailed. You know, I think I actually can still remember a conversation with that CFO as they were coming in where he actually had sympathy for what we were going through just to try to deliver a plan. And I remember thinking like, that's okay, we can fix this, right? You can fix the process, you can fix the tool, but just being so... So in awe of the leadership engagement and support we had around that process, because I didn't necessarily have that in every place I had ever been, and the possibility that existed because of it, because that is a much harder challenge to overcome than fixing a process or implementing a new system. Yeah, that's, that's so good. I, I think one of the things that makes me think of is just when you have supportive leadership, I think it makes you more resilient because you go through ups and downs in the process and difficulties and challenges, right? But when you have leadership that is supportive of the vision and enabling you, I think it just gives you more resilience. It reduces your fear of failure, which ultimately leads to, to a better result and almost gives, gives the team the freedom to, to, freedom to not fail, but freedom to, to try to execute and not worry about blowback as long as everyone's on the same page and we're marching in the same direction. That's, that's amazing. So y'all went from 18 weeks to seven weeks, which is just incredible, you know, efficiency gains and things like that. So tell me a little bit about how now that y'all are there, how have you seen, you know, a combination of people, process and technology with Anaplan at the center make you make your finance team better business partners to the actual business units that they support? What are you seeing there from an ROI perspective? Yeah. So the obvious thing is once you free up the time you're spending on mechanics, you free up time for more value added activity. Right. So that is certainly a very obvious piece of it. But I think the other thing is once you get a robust process in place, you can start to design 
other connected planning processes, such as accountability cycles or more strategic conversations that you weren't able to facilitate before as a part of those planning process. So for example, we now do a long range plan in the first part of the year. And one of the most value out of that parts of that long range plan isn't necessarily coming to an exact outcome that everyone agrees on, because no matter what you come to, it is wrong, right? By nature, a five-year plan, you're not going to get that right. Um, but the conversation it drives about, it, hey, if the way we're trending, this could be the outcome. Are we comfortable with that? And if not, what would we look to do differently? And sitting down and talking to people that way, I think it's just been very valuable. I think this whole concept of linking accountability cycles in. So, you know, if you have a company where you're asked to do a plan, but then you're never asked how you're doing against it, you probably are putting a lot of time and energy into that plan, right? Because you're getting asked about it once a year. But if you have accountability cycles where you're asked to come and speak about that along with other priorities you're doing to evolve your department, all of a sudden you really have a powerful process. And it's not just a financial process. It's a overall performance management process when you're talking about the plan and priorities that allows you to really help make sure that the culture set for the organization to constantly be moving along, changing and evolving with the demanding needs. Mm, that's good. So the tool and the robust process that is now in place and adopted has enabled more time to run accountability cycles that allows the business to essentially reflect back on, hey, here's the plan that we set. How are we doing against it? Where are we overperforming? Where are we underperforming? And what do we need to change basically, right? So is it fair to say that it just improves, it improves innovation, it improves collaboration? Talk to me about maybe the people dynamics of this accountability cycle as well. So what I'd say is it has driven a different cultural change over time. So again, people now come in and they talk about not just their plan, but they're talking about their priorities that they're doing to move the department ahead. It's really allowing departments to connect dots across each other more. So when you're sitting in those meetings and you hear, hey, this group's working on this, this group's working on that, it sounds like some there's some overlap. Have you talked to each other more? It's just creating a more connected culture um, because we now are being more proactive by having these conversations on an ongoing basis and constantly being aligned on what are the goals for the department for year, the year and what are they trying to achieve? And again, I want to emphasize this goes beyond just hitting their plan. This is priorities to evolve their department and plan just another component of that. No, that, that, that makes a ton of sense. I like that emphasis on culture change. Because what it makes me think about is if I'm, if I'm an FP&A and most of my time is spent on mechanics, yep. that can be a tough, that's a tough role. That's a tough role to be in. But if my time is spent on mechanics plus the review, the analysis, the collaboration and, and getting to ingrained in that culture change, I think it makes me love my job more. Is that fair? That is absolutely fair. We have certainly seen the engagement levels across finance or FP&A specifically go up tremendously since we implemented Anabram. That's, that's awesome. That's, that's a really, really cool, incredible story. I'm curious, just from, a, like from an Anaplan perspective, you'll have a COE in place as well, right? Yep, that's correct. Can you tell me a little bit about that and how your FP&A team partners with the Anaplan COE and what that looks like? So our COE is still relatively small at this point. It's certainly less than 10 people overall, probably more like six to eight. When we went live with Anaplan, we did implement a CUE at the time. This was considered a best practice from Anaplan and something we took to heart. 
know, I have worked at companies where you've had SPNA try to own the planning system off the side of their desk. And a lot of times that just isn't successful because then you're strapped between times supporting the business versus trying to evolve a system. So we really have the two kind of bifurcated. So our Center for Excellence, they keep the system going day in and day out. They run the engine, if you will, but they are also the group we go to for enhancements or feature development. And the FP&A team really partners with them to, re- to provide the requirements or the vision about where they want to go. So it's worked really well for us. I think the FP&A team, by using the tool, being an end user, they develop enough knowledge of it to get unique ideas, but they also can very easily identify this is where things are hard for us to do or hard for us to navigate. You know the tool well, let's sit together and figure out the best way to solve this. That is that is good. And I feel like we just uncovered some some gold right there. You talked about how in the process of selecting in a plan and standing it up, you took to heart the concept of we need a COE. And it sounds like it was driven by some of your personal experience, having been at in organizations where finance was asked to run a tool off the side of their desk. I think we speaking from from my perspective on the talent side, we see that a lot in organizations that have maybe struggled to get the ROI on yeah. their finance transformation, their Anaplan initiatives. And a lot of it does center in on, on talent. You have to have great talent using the tool on a daily basis to draw those insights out, to, to drive that connected planning journey across the different departments. So can you maybe just speak to that, that mindset, if you will, for a little bit on the importance of the COE and and how y'all have just been able to almost, you know, sell that to leadership, get leadership to buy into that. What's that been like? Or was that driven from top down like we talked about at the beginning? Yeah. So certainly the concept of the COE did come from Anna Plan as a best practice, right? I will say my past experience has reinforced it being very logical to me and me feeling very supportive of the concept. But again, it was their best practice that we chose to adopt. You know, I think at the time we implemented Anaplan, we really stepped back and said, what did we need to be successful? And we put that business case together and that included the technology, of course, but also the team to support it. And so it's something we really brought to leadership as part of our business case for the tool versus something that was told that we should do. Um, I think the other thing is, you know, many people have had experiences, I'm sure, where their production support for FP&A tool sits with an IT and that's just not a flexible, flexible structure. And it has nothing to do with anything being wrong with that IT organization or the IT personnel. It just runs very differently when you're doing production support through IT than when it's part of a team that doesn't have to worry about anything else except just keeping that tool running. So it was really important for us not to be reliant on anybody else. And to do that, that's where we really needed to build the COE because, again, if we would have embedded it in the FP&A roles that existed, we still would be reliant on someone else. We're reliant on business partners who are doing it as a part-time job versus someone who's doing it as their entire job and focus. It makes so much sense when I hear that, why Markel has had the results that you've had with Anaplan. Because of that emphasis on people and process and the technology. Like you've, you've hit on all three at a really high level here. So it's just cool to see that, that all come to fruition. The thing that's really important with that COE is we put in appropriate governance and prioritization structures. When you have a disseminated group of people building an Anaplan, they can all build whatever they want at any time. And you also can get people pulled in too many directions where things move more slower. 
So for anybody who's going to contemplate putting in a center of excellence, it's really important that they also put in those governance and, like I said, prioritization processes. So at any given time, people know what they're working on, know that's their focus, and don't don't you don't end up getting pulled off what you're trying to do and what you're trying to make progress on by having competing priorities. So I just think that's a, sec- a secondary point that's really important about that COE. I'm glad you actually, I'm glad you mentioned that. Can you maybe double click in a little bit more and just give me an example maybe on, on what your governance process and prioritization process, like what does that look like on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, it's COE. evolved over time as we've gotten more things built out in the tool, but very early on, also I'll say the year after we went live, we had a really long list of things we still wanted to do. And so what we would do is going into the upcoming year, we'd actually ask our business unit FPNA and our corporate SPNA to put in their proposals of what they believed were top priorities for the next year. And then they would partner with the COE to get a directional, we call it t-shirt sizing, like how much effort is it? Small, medium, large, extra large. But then we'd also have that, that FPNA person say, and how many hours would you optimize by doing this? And we did that so we could really decide what were the most valuable things to go after first. So if something was an extra large effort requiring hundreds of hours from the COE and it was going to save 10 hours annually, probably doesn't make sense from a value equation to go after that. So we're pretty, I don't want to, I want to say rigid, but rigid within a good way at first about making sure that the effort and the value were there. We've been able to back down on that a little bit just because as we built out more, there's a more reasonable amount of priorities coming up in any one year. But we do still have those same conversations about what are we going to get for this? And is this really the right thing to be spending our time on? Even just thinking about that, like the Pareto principle, 80-20, 80, 80% yeah, of your yeah, results yep. come from 20% of your efforts. So being able to step back and ask the business, hey, how many hours is this going to save you on a yearly basis? And then you're looking for the low hanging fruits that save the most hours doing that first and then kind of up and up and up you go. I think that's, I think that's just an incredible example of best practice. So thank you for sharing that and thank you for bringing that back. So this has been awesome. It's been incredible to hear the, the Markel story, the importance of great leadership, but also incredible focus on people and process enabled by the technology of Anaplan. It's just, it's incredible picture. So thank you for sharing that. I'll get you out of here on this. Two two okay. questions. The first okay. one is this. You're you're leading an FPNA organization at Markel. Meredith, what is your next big hairy audacious goal? Your BHAG. What are you going after? It doesn't have to be professional, it could be running a marathon or whatever, but what are your sights set on right now? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I'm not one of those people who looks ahead at their career and says, This is where I want to be. So when it comes to my career, I just want to enjoy what I'm doing. <laughs> So I don't really have one there. I think on the personal front, and it's a little bit more of a motto I'm trying to live by, which is actually incredibly hard versus this one thing I'm trying to achieve, such as running a marathon or something. And that's just to try to simplify my life as much as possible. So I feel like there's a lot of societal driven complexities that you can get wrapped up in and very easily. And so to the extent I can, I like to constantly try to reevaluate and making sure I'm not getting sucked into things that don't bring more value and happiness into my world and really making sure I'm keeping time freed up to focus on my family, which is the most important thing to me. So um, because of how challenging is that we're in our world to do that, I think of that as my big, very audacious goal, but it's really more of an ongoing goal throughout my whole life. That is a very worthy pursuit. Enjoy what you're doing. 
and simplify life to the most important things. I mean, I think that's that's incredible. That's gonna that leads to a fulfilling life and a and a great career usually. So one that you enjoy because we only get to do it once, right? So yep, that's right. a that's a great motto, a great approach. Meredith, where can people find you if they want to hear more about your story, what you're doing at Markel with Anna Plan, or just living simply? Yeah. So I think this is where people rattle off their social media handles, right? <laughs> I think that's so. That's one of those things I've opted out of. So not on a lot of social media. I am on LinkedIn. So if people are very curious to talk more or compare notes on the Anaplan space or what they're doing in FP&A, you can definitely find me there. I do check that inbox. I'm just not super active in terms of posting. Perfect. Well, hey, thank you for joining the show today, for sharing your journey and the journey that Markel has been on with Anaplan. It's, it's one that people should take note of. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Wherever you're consuming this, if it's YouTube, if it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, we appreciate you. Make sure you're subscribed. We have a lot more amazing guests on the way, a lot more great content. We're doing our best to bring you value and have fun while we do it. And we really want this to be a career advantage listening to this show and we want you to enjoy it. So it means a lot. Make sure you're subscribed for what's what's to come. And also, if you're up for it, it would mean a lot if you leave us a like, a comment, a rating, a review, whatever platform you're on. That really helps and it gets us fired up when we see those. So I appreciate you guys. Find us on LinkedIn. I'm Blake Bozarth, my co-host Chad Pike with a Y. Would love to connect with you there. Have an awesome day. See you next time. Peace.